It was Martin Luther King who said on one occasion, we have a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Martin Luther King, who, by the way, was a Baptist minister in America. But this is what he said. We have a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. There's a story, of course, behind Martin Luther King. He uh, started a boycott of a bus company. You see, this particular bus company had... uh, made a law that whenever a white person got onto a bus, if there was a black person seated, they had to get up and let the white person sit down. Well, there was a day when a wee lady called Rosa Parks got onto the bus, there was a spare seat, and so she sat down. The bus moved off, came to the next stop, And there was a white gentleman got onto the bus, but no seats left for him. And of course, everybody turned around and looked at the wee black lady, expecting her to get up and let the man sit down. But she didn't. Her name was Rosa Parks. She refused to get up to give the white man her seat. And um, there were shockwaves around America. But it started a a reaction against racial injustice. There's a lot of talk today about about race and uh, you've all heard of the the organization Black Lives Matter and all the rest of it. So basically a load of rubbish today. But back then it it was right and just and black people, colored people were treated disgracefully. And rightly did Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King disobey these unjust laws. And of course today that kind of thing wouldn't happen. And rightly so. So that's what, that's what Luther King said. He said that we as believers have a, a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Over these past weeks we have been looking at them characters in the Bible who did exactly that. They disobeyed unjust laws. I hope that the messages, by the way, folks, have been a help to you. And we've kind of been keeping Romans 13 in mind all the while. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, we studied it, how that there was a law made which was unjust. It was an evil law that banned prayer. It'd be terrible if prayer was banned today, wouldn't it? If the government said, not allowed to go to a prayer meeting. Mind you, they did say that last year, didn't they? But prayer for Daniel was a red line. Here, talk about that today, don't you? The red lines. Political parties have their red lines. Well, Daniel had his red line, and when the law, when this unjust, wicked law was um, published, Daniel said, I can't do it. I will continue to pray. So he did what Martin Luther King said we should do. He, he disobeyed the unjust law. And um, Daniel realized 
like Martin Luther King, that we who call ourselves Christians, the Lord's people, we have a duty, a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And by the way, Martin Luther King said you do it publicly. If you, if you see an unjust law, you don't sort of hide away and disobey it privately. You do it as publicly as you can so that as many people as possible see you doing it. Paul, the apostle, he disobeyed the unjust law in Damascus. We looked at it last Thursday night. You remember how Paul escaped in the basket. But the law had, had gone out that, that Paul was to be apprehended and he was going to be put to death, executed. They were going to kill him. The Jews wanted to kill him. Um, and the governor in Damascus, he tried to apprehend Paul, but he failed. Some people would say, well, Paul, should you not just have handed yourself in to the powers that be? Like, I mean, Romans 13 says you'd be subject to them. Well, if they had said that to Paul, Paul would just turn around and said, uh, excuse me, the governor of Damascus is a tyrant. He's an evil man, and I am not bound to obey him. And I will defy this unjust law because I have a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. We have read this week about a couple who defied an unjust law. They disobeyed an unjust law. I'm thinking now, of course, of Moses' parents. Amram and Jochebed. They're not named in Exodus chapter 2, but they are named in Exodus 6 and verse 20. But this couple, they, they did what Martin Luther King said, said we should do. They disobeyed an unjust law. And uh, the law, of course, was that all the baby boys uh, in Egypt were to be thrown into the River Nile. They were to be drowned. What do you think, folks? Unjust or just? You can't get any more unjust than that. But that was the law. Well, maybe Moses' parents should just have said, well, this is an evil law, but, but it's, it's, it's what the government have said we should do, so we, we, we just have to abide by it. Well, actually, no, they didn't take that attitude. They disobeyed the law. They defied the law. They, they defied this genocide of the Jewish boys. They refused to throw their boy into the river Nile. How could they murder their own flesh and blood, their little child? They, they just were not going to do it. This was their red line. So Moses was preserved miraculously. And uh, uh, Moses is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus, by the way. It's like a mirror image, the, the, the protection, deliverance of Moses in the Old Testament. What about the Lord Jesus in the New Testament? You remember Herod the Great wanted to murder him and slaughter him, but he failed and Christ was preserved because another couple, not Amram and Jochebed, but Joseph and Mary took the Savior into Egypt and he was preserved. Both Babies preserved in 
Egypt. I want you to notice for a moment Hebrews 11, 23. There's a couple of words there that I'd like, like us to meditate on for a wee moment or two. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Think about those words. The king's commandment. Who was the king of Egypt? Well, it was Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He was the king. That's what Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews, is referring to. Referring to. That's who he's referring to. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the king had put out a commandment. All the Jewish boys are to be murdered. You parents, you Jewish parents, you're to give them up. Hand them over. And uh, we'll throw them into the River Nile. A terrible genocide. It was mass genocide. I suppose same idea as Hitler during the Second World War. And Hitler was guilty of some heinous acts against children and his Nazi cronies. Terrible crimes committed against children. Just reading a book at the moment describing um, some of the suffering and some of the abuse that children suffered at the hands of the Nazis. And uh, I couldn't even talk about it tonight because it would make your blood curdle. Some of the things that, that uh, Nazi Germany did to, to children. Well, same idea here. Pharaoh's going to do, he wants to destroy the Jewish boys. But the Lord <clears throat> had other plans, and especially for Moses. But the king's commandment. Moses' parents weren't bothered by the king and his commandment. The king of Egypt didn't bother them. Because they pledged allegiance to another king. Here's one king, Pharaoh, who wants to destroy the, the baby boys. But Amram and Jochebed, they, they are loyal to another king. <coughs> Their loyalty lies with another king. And we all know who that is. King Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings. We read often in Acts chapter 17. If you turn to Acts 17 for a moment, and there's a lovely phrase there. <coughs> in Acts 17, it speaks of our great King. And if you go down to verse 5, Acts 17 and verse 5. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. 
whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Now back to the Old Testament, back to Moses' parents. If you had been around at this particular period in history and you had gone to Egypt, to Goshen, and you had gone to the door, to the home of Amram and Jochebed, and you rapped the door, knocked the door, and you said, whose allegiance do you pledge to? Where does your loyalty lie? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, or another king, one Jesus? I can just imagine Amram, Amram and Jochebed turning and saying, another king, one Jesus. We pledge allegiance to him. The Messiah who will be born. Oh, it might be a thousand years or two thousand years before he's born, but we pledge allegiance to him. Yes, as long as the king of Egypt legislates justly and as long as his laws do not contradict the laws of the Lord, then we will obey him. But if his laws are unjust, we cannot obey them. We must disobey them because we have a moral responsibility to do so. King Jesus is the one with whom our loyalty lies, the Lord Jehovah. Good folks, we must be like them. We must take the same attitude as Moses' parents. We must not be afraid of the king's commandment if it contradicts the word of God. We must give allegiance to King Jesus. Or as Acts chapter 17 puts it, isn't it a lovely phrase? Another king, one Jesus. Amram and Jochebed, who are you subject to? Another king, one Jesus. Believers in new buildings, who are you subject to? Another king, one Jesus. He's the king and only head of the church. You know, down through, down through history, there, there's been certain kings who believed in the divine right of kings. You ever heard that? Divine right of kings. Basically, what they believed was that they could do anything. They could make any kind of a law and everybody just had to obey them. People had no option. Just We have been appointed by God and, and we can, we can um, legislate in whatever way we want. We can make whatever law we want and the people just have to uh, obey us because that's the way God ordained it. Of course, it's not true. But there are certain kings who believed that and down through the years, down through the centuries of time, God's people have defied those tyrants. Think of the Scottish Covenanters. If you've never read about the Scottish Covenanters, I suggest, folks, you get a book and read about them. King Charles 
believed in the divine right of kings. No matter what I legislate, no matter what law I foist upon the people of Scotland, they must obey me. But he discovered that the Covenanters were not going to obey him, but they're going to defy him. Because the Covenanters believed in the crown rights of King Jesus. King Jesus. Yes, he's, he's our king. He was the king of Moses' parents. He's the one that we must pledge our loyalty to. He must come first because he has done so much for us. You see, he's the king with the pierced hands. The king that we swear loyalty to tonight has nail prints in his hands. That's why he comes first. And it was the same for Moses' parents. It's very interesting how Moses was saved, how he was delivered. It was an ark of bulrushes. We know that fact, we know it so well, we've heard the story from childhood. But it's interesting to, to note that the word ark that's used in scripture is the same word in the Hebrew as Noah's ark. The two arks are the same. Different size, of course. Noah's ark was a lot, an awful lot bigger. But it's the same word in the, in the Hebrew that's used. Noah's ark, Moses' ark. God preserved Noah, his wife, his three sons, their three wives, and all the animals in the ark. God kept them safe. And God did exactly the same for little Moses. The Lord preserved the little child from drowning, from the crocodiles, from so many other dangers. He kept him alive. The Lord has kept us alive until the last night of September 2021. Wonder why the Lord has kept us alive, folks. Because he's got a work for us to do. And our first Job is to seek him in prayer tonight. That's the work at hand tonight, to cry out to him. And may the Lord help us as we do that. How good the Lord is in preserving his people. I'm sure every one of us could stand up and testify to times when the Lord kept us alive. Just the other day, we were turning out of Northwest MOT Centre. Pauline was in the car too, and Isabella, three of us in the car, turning left to go up home. Car overtaken, just as we were about to turn out. But Pauline put on the brakes. If she hadn't put on the brakes, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. 
See how God preserves. And I know some of you have told me how God has preserved you in recent times and kept his hand upon you. I tell you folks, God has great plans for this church. Great plans for us as believers. There's a work for us to do. And that's why he has kept us alive. Just reading that psalm the other day, Psalm 30. O Lord, thou hast kept me alive. Thou hast kept me alive. Hallelujah. What a God we worship. Let me just finish off with one or two more thoughts about little Moses. It's very interesting whenever the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, goes down to the river Nile. It's very interesting to see what happened. She uh, goes down to the river to wash. And it tells us there in verse 6, And when she had opened, opened it, opened the little ark of bulrushes, or the little basket, that's what it was, a wicker basket. Remember last week we talked about Paul escaping Damascus in the basket? Well, here's another basket. And little Moses is inside this basket. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. Notice those last words. Behold, the babe wept. Wherever you see behold in the Bible, that means pay attention. Something important's coming. So, behold, what's the important bit? The babe wept. Who made little baby Moses cry? It was the Lord. Because the Lord knew that when the wee baby started to cry, that Pharaoh's daughter would melt with compassion. And she would save the child and spare him. And he wouldn't be thrown into the Nile to the crocodiles or to be drowned. But he would, pre he would be preserved because Jehovah had a great plan for him to lead his people out of Egypt. But isn't it amazing that God used the tears of a baby? Or if I can put it another way, this was the Lord's first weapon against Egypt. Oh yes, there was the ten plagues that we know so well, and they came. But here's the first weapon. Moses' tears. And the little baby weeps and the heart of the princess melts and the plan of God is fulfilled. Isn't it amazing the little things that God uses? Tiny insignificant things that God uses. That's a great study in itself. We could go through scripture and think of the little things and little people that God has used. Here's what, here is the Lord's first weapon against pagan Egypt, the tears of baby Moses. The Lord is a great arsenal, you know. He's got many weapons in his armory. And he, in his infinite, perfect wisdom, uses them according to the need. The king was in control. Oh, it wasn't Pharaoh. 
It was the Lord. Another king won Jesus. Jesus.